Our Father and our God, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for the Sabbath that you have declared for us to be a day of rest, the day to set aside our worldly labors, the toil that we have to go through because of the sin in the garden. We live in a wrecked world that does not know peace and that does not know you. Lord, we pray that we can rest in you, not only physically, but with our whole mind, soul, and spirit. Rest in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for making it possible as you took upon yourself the wrath of God, our sin. You, who knew no sin, endured the cross and the shame, despised and rejected of men, and you shed your blood for us that we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. We thank you for doing that work on the cross and completing it and rising victoriously the third day as you have declared and now at the right hand of the Father. We pray that you would help us to search your scripture, to be students of your word, uh, to hunger and thirst after your righteousness because we will be filled if we do that. We pray for the many that could not be with us that are dealing with um, old age and all the things that accompany that, um, illnesses. Lord, we know that you are the great physician and that all things are known to you. And we humbly pray um, for so many that we know, even our loved ones that are dealing with illness and disease, that you, Lord Jesus, would bring healing if it be your will. If they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they can claim you and the promises that you have made possible to be reconciled with God and to spend eternity with you. This is the cry of our heart. We pray your blessing on the reading of your word now, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would allow you to do that, and that you would make yourself known to us. We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, for this morning's message, I'd like to read out of Colossians, back at home, um, I'm going through uh, that particular uh, letter. And so we will go through chapter one. I will leave it with you to complete the reading and the studying of chapters two, three, and four. So as we're flipping through, and I appreciate everyone that opens the, the, the scripture, the Bible, and will keep their Bibles open in reference to it uh, because it is powerful, it is living, and it could speak to the depth of your heart. So Colossae, the, uh, the church that was established there, is a city in modern-day Turkey. It's 100 miles east of the ancient city of Ephesus and approximately 350 miles south of Istanbul. It's situated along a trade route, so you could imagine the throngs of people, um, the commerce that, that takes place there, a lot of things happening. Colossae was actually destroyed by an earthquake in the first century. It was populated by both Jews and Gentiles. In uh, chapter 1, we'll read this, but Epaphras 
was thought to be the founder, the pastor of this particular church and had a close relationship with Apostle Paul and shared some things. And so this would be some, uh, a derivative of that relationship of Apostle Paul writing to the church of Colossae. Apostle Paul never visited Colossae, never met the believers face to face. We read that in chapter 2. They've never met him. But this letter that he has to write addresses some serious uh, heresies that he's heard about, perhaps, from Epaphras, that he was dealing with this uh, within the church with some of the believers, how to handle it. And so these are the, the isms, if you will, that Apostle Paul is writing to. And in this particular chapter that we're going to read, Apostle Paul starts with uh, love and grace, showing mercy, speaking to the faith that they have uh, as, as young believers, and perhaps some of the persecution that they're dealing with, encouraging them. And then he delivers the, the truth and encourages them through this instruction to turn back to Jesus Christ, who is superior to all, who is God. These are the isms. He deals with legalism. This, this is the, the observance of certain rules and regulations in order to get into good favor with God. So there are things that you need to do to present yourself, um, and if you don't do them, then you, you clearly don't have a relationship with God. You have to do these things to uh, find favor with God. And of course, we know that there's a problem with that because it's all about the self. Humanism is all about man, produced by man, and the center of the universe is man. So this is you putting yourself in the center of your own universe. You call all the shots. Uh, but clearly we know that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We're not calling the shots of our lives. That's all legalism. Mysticism entered, crept in, was, was an issue with these young believers. Mysticism, Eastern mysticism, a large emphasis on the supernatural on worshiping angels. Assisticism, which derives pleasure, uh, which is someone that doesn't derive pleasure for themselves. They withhold anything that would be pleasurable, that's something that you would enjoy. They would abstain from it. Because by abstaining, by keeping away from those things that gave them pleasure, in some way they were thinking they were closer to God. So those are some of the isms, humanism, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. All of these fall short of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The first two chapters of Colossians speak about doctrinal things. The last two chapters are our practical ways that we can submit our will ourselves to Jesus Christ. So let's read Colossians chapter 1. I will leave the last three chapters uh, for you to pursue in, in your studies, perhaps, to conclude the matter of this letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, T Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. 
We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up in you in heaven, whereof he heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day he heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do, make, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that we might be filled, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through, through the blood of his cross by him, to, uh, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And then the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unremovable, unreprovable in his sight. If he continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister, who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from the generations by now is, but now is made manifest to all the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we preach, warning 
whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. May God bless and add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's a nice opening to to a letter when he asked to address some of the, the heresies. He speaks of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I hope you picked up in the intonation of my reading the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Let me read the seven things that Apostle Paul clearly states. Well, if, we, if we have time, what happened, what happened to the clock? There's a, <laughs> there, let me get one out here, or we're going to be here until 2 o'clock, because once I get started, okay. <laughs> I might not stop. All right. Oh, no, no, I will, I will respect the, the, the schedule here. So here are the seven things. That Jesus is the image of God, the exact representation. Firstborn, having all authority. Creator of all things. Creator of all things. Sustainer of all things. Head of the church. Among the, uh, the first to be resurrected from the dead. The preeminence and the supremacy over all things. Jesus Christ. What are the heresies? The things that they were saying that Jesus Christ was some created being? Uh, that he is just some uh, person that, that God created to do these things for him is not truth. And I hope you pick that up in the reading of this chapter. If there's anything that you walk away with, that would be a, a wonderful blessing for me, is if you walk away with the truth of God's word that Jesus Christ is God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life. There's a lot of people, a lot of religions out there that would love to captivate your mind by placing some doubt in it in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It happened thousands of years ago, and it's happening today. And we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. And that's one of them, to place doubt in who we're believing. That he was actually some created being. You're giving him a little too much credit. Apostle Paul deals with that, with the truth of the gospel. Apostle Paul is the writer of this letter. His name is right on it. Apparently there's some uh, arguments about who wrote it. I'm thankful he put his name on it. It's Apostle Paul, a servant of God, called to be a minister by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the will of God. He speaks of grace and peace, and what's interesting about that, it's both Greek and um, Hebrew, so um, keras, which means grace, and peace, which means shalom. So he addresses both Greek and Jew in that salutation. Grace be unto you and peace, keras and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness 
being thankful, having a thankful heart, it may take you back to some of the Sunday school songs, but having a thankful heart, there seems to be a clear theme in the Bible of having a thankful heart, because the antithesis of it, the opposite of, of being a thankful heart is to be miserable, complaining, and murmuring. And we know what happened to the Israelites when they murmured in the desert. One thing that God disdains, abhors, is someone that murmurs, constantly complaining. Nothing going right. Everything stacked against them. God is against them. Be thankful. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I know there are many prayers that are being offered for so many uh, different people, and I forgot to pray for those traveling. Uh, we cannot take for granted the grace that God's, God has extended to us and his goodness, and be mindful of those that have a different cross to carry uh, that we can't forget, that we are all part and, uh, of the church of Christ. We are the... Uh, his body, we represent Jesus Christ, which he is the head of the church. Thank you for the, the encouragement and placing importance on your announcement. You would think some just rote exercise of sharing with us the responsibilities that it takes to maintain a church, the building, the grounds, all of it. There is no separation. We are all part of the body of Christ, and there is a lot of work to be done and it's not relegated to a certain group, to the trustees, or to all of us. We are all responsible. And the message that I took away is there's plenty of work that needs to be done. And we can all, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ that represent his body on this earth as the church, can roll up our sleeves and get the work done. And all honor and glory goes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I digress, but we go back now to uh, this uh, portion of, of Scripture, this letter that shares that the things that, they've, uh, that he's heard about, perhaps from Epaphras, that they did not stop reading and believing since the first time they heard. I think that's wonderful. That there was nothing else that captivated their attention. They heard it. It was powerful. It changed them. They did not leave it or find anything else to supplant it. It was sufficient. It was the truth of the gospel. And they heard it for the first time. They pursued it, and it became part of, of their fabric, their DNA, of who they were. Their identity was in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he, um, he heard about all the the wonderful things that their works through that faith produced. There is a result. Well, their the good works didn't uh, find favor with God, but clearly their faith in God produced wonderful results to further the kingdom. They knew the grace of God in truth, and they learned it uh, from Epaphras, perhaps their minister, their pastor, who declared unto Paul the love that they have in the Spirit. And they... And this may be a question that you have. 
as a pastor, this is one of the most frequently asked questions. One of the most frequently asked questions. And I suspect at large, uh, pastors are asked all of the time, what is God's will for me? Verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we have heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what is the will of God? There are three C's that I want to share with you. But before I share those three things, how do we discern what God's will is? Well, first off, God is not obligated to reveal his unknown will to you until you first take advantage of reading his known will for you. Take advantage of reading God's will first for you, and it's found in Scripture, the Bible. God's known will is revealed in Scripture. Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he reveals to us belong to us and to our children that we may fulfill the law. So there are things that God is not obligated to share. Some secret things that are only known to him. But what he does reveal to us is the power of salvation that we can receive, reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ. So we first have to search the scripture to know what his known will is for us, and then ask him for those things perhaps that are not revealed to us this ancient text that speaks directly to us today. The first thing of the three C's is to counsel. Counsel in God's word. What a great place to start. And let's read uh, just a a few verses. Um, Psalm 119, I think we all know it. Uh, thy Thy word is a light unto my feet, a path... Uh, a lamp unto my path. So there's illumination that God's word provides for us today. And the path that we're going to take is also illuminated. And so we are not walking in darkness. We are not stumbling along the path that God puts before us. It is illuminated, both for today and for tomorrow and beyond. The counsel of God's word illuminates that for us. All too often, we get embroiled and make our lives very, very messy with situations that we have to deal with, perhaps things that we have placed upon ourselves. Things that we, bad advice that we received from, it was not godly counsel that you adhered to, and and now you're dealing with, with the consequences. The scripture deals with some very practical things that we can apply to our lives today. Paying taxes. Should we, should we pay taxes? It's in Scripture that we are to be obedient to the authority, the governments that God has established. Did Jesus Christ pay taxes? Yes, he did. How did he do it? Yes. He sent Peter and instructed him to take one hook, Tie a line to a fish hook. 
place it in, in the water, you'll catch a fish. Inside that fish will be a coin. That will pay for my taxes and your taxes. But Peter, do the children of the king, are they obligated to pay taxes? But that all scripture and prophecy might be fulfilled, I'm going to pay taxes. That is my very loosely uh, interpretation of, of that scripture. But Jesus Christ paid taxes. And that was when the Sanhedrin meant that kangaroo court that assembled the night before his, his death accused him of, of not paying taxes, of tax evasion. And that, of course, was a lie with the other accusation that he claimed to be God, the Son of God, which, of course, he was. So there are practical things that we can find for our own lives as we want to be pleasing, right? And to do God's will, there are things that he reveals to us in Scripture that we can pursue and that we can discern for ourselves. Um, Romans chapter 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this broken world and the things that the individuals that are part of and want to be in the world pursue have no representation of God and what his will is, but he has transformed our minds. He has giving, given us a, a, new pri- a new list of priorities and a different way of thinking of spiritual matters, of things that are not time-bound, that are not seen. He's given us a vision to see, and that can be proved by Scripture. What is that good? acceptable and perfect, complete will of God. And I appreciate what uh, Tante Trudy mentioned in in Bible class, uh, being complete in Jesus Christ. That perhaps that was a definition of of that that piece that um, really can't be described, that passes all understanding. Uh, Perfect, also meaning complete, that we are complete in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that we could want. He completes us. What is that acceptable and complete, perfect will of God? That's in Romans chapter 12, 2. So we have the counsel of God's word. The next thing is is comfort, is God's peace. Are there some decisions that you've made in your life? And you made them. Could have been a, a business decision, uh, a, a, which school you were going to attend, uh, a, a relationship decision, where you were going to worship. Right, where, where we make decisions all the time. But there's some there's some big ones in life, some milestone decisions that perhaps you faced that you did not have God's peace about, and you tried to convince yourself. You try to negotiate with yourself that 95% is good enough for me, close enough is good enough. 
with me, but you did not have that peace. I think we've all made decisions where we've went against that, that peace, that comfort that we have from God to move forward. Uh, Colossians, this, this same letter in chapter 3 speaks about that. Verse 15, so 3.15 we read, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. That word rule in chapter 15 is uh, defined in Greek, the rule that an umpire would make. So an umpire makes a ruling. An umpire determines what's fair and foul. And so let that peace, God's peace, determine in your heart what is fair and foul, what his will is and what it isn't his will. That peace that he gives you, that comfort that he gives you. Now this is not appeal to our emotions. God does not appeal to our emotions. And if we start following our emotions, we'll, we'll, we'll see that the, end of, uh, uh, the result is not at all peace. It's um, yet another emotion that we didn't even know we had. And so it's a twisted mess when we try to follow and make determinations on our emotions. It's not like that at all. There are moments when we know that there's absolutely an absence of peace. But if we lack that inner peace, we need to stop and not violate that peace. Don't violate, but wait. When I use the, uh, the analogy of the, of the traffic light, right? You see green, you go. You see red, you stop. Now, what happens when it's yellow? What happens when it's yellow? You're lacking that peace. And clearly, there is no indication of a green for go. There's no indication for a red to stop. It's yellow. I would encourage you to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. All too often, we, we let our, our foot decide and we, we give it the gas. And sometimes we may regret it. When we do not have that comfort of God's peace in that decision and it's yellow, please wait on the Lord. Wait on him. The last C is confirmation. Confirmation from others. So this doesn't uh, negate your own conviction, your own counsel from Scripture that you've pursued, the peace that you have, this, this, this decision. This, this is a confirmation from others that they see that, yep, this is absolutely aligned with what, what God expects, what he's promised in his word, or a confirmation that there is nowhere in Scripture that would support your decision. Uh, there is wisdom and a benefit in the counsel of others, other believers. And I believe the uh, Scripture that you have in the fellowship hall that we uh, that Brother Dan had as a backdrop. Was it Matthew 18, 22? Where two or three are gathered in his name, he will make himself known 
And so when you have two or three that you can have confirm to know that God is present in that decision, when two people agree on earth touching one thing, and it's asked of God, it will be given. Apostle Paul continues to speak about the truth. Jesus Christ is truth. We cannot serve two masters. It's one or the other. There's no demilitarized zone. There's no place where, you know, uh, there's no neutral in between. There's no Switzerland. There's There's no neutral ground. You can't play both. You can't. In Scripture, it's clear you can only serve one master. You will give your allegiance, your time, your adoration, your effort, and your love to the one that rules your heart. The devil would convince you that there's some middle ground. You can be neutral. You can give God Sunday and and yourself, you know, enjoy the other six days. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of this earth. Who is reigned by Lucifer? God allowed Satan to be the prince, the power, the prince of the air. This is his kingdom. God's kingdom is from above, heavenly, spiritual, eternal, without end. This kingdom, this earth, is devilish, earthly, sensual, and time-bound. Which kingdom do you want to be part of? Jesus Christ makes it possible to be kingdom, uh, to be saints of the kingdom of God. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Godhead. He is the express image, the image of God. And in the Greek, that word image is icon. Icon. There's a copier company called Icon, I believe. I don't know if they're still around. But when you make a photocopy, you get the exact express representation of that image. Apostle Paul could have used any other Greek word to mean similar, but he used icon. Jesus Christ is the image, the exact representation of God. He is God. The firstborn. The firstborn. Which does not mean he was the firstborn. It means the authority, the privileges, and the blessings of being the firstborn. The authority, privileges, and benefits. He is the creator of all things. This is in Colossians chapter 1. He is the creator of all things. He created all things. He is the sustainer of all things. This this earth is spinning at 1,400 miles per hour, perfectly balanced at the perfect speed. If it were to slow down a nanosecond, we would be obliterated. This earth would explode. Everything is perfectly balanced and sustained 
by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. We are his body. He was the first to be resurrected from the dead. He had the power to lay down his life, and he had the power to raise it back up again. He is supreme over all things. It pleased God that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. A relationship that was more than just on the rocks, that was more than just seeing things differently, it was hostile. We were disobedient. We did not give our time and attention and our love to God. We have gone our own separate way. And in many cases, verse 21, if you look at it, it speaks to our testimony that we have as believers, that we were sometimes alienated and we were the enemies in our mind, wicked, working wickedly. But through that, God was able to reconcile us through the work that was accomplished by Jesus Christ. This mystery is not something that is some sort of riddle or that it needs to somehow kind of be unlocked in terms of trying to figure things out. The gospel message was revealed to us long, long before uh, the New Testament. It was all revealed to us through the prophecy pointing to Jesus Christ. Those prophets that saw through, through as, as through a glass dimly did not see, had, had some vision, some, some thought that was clear, but did not see until Jesus Christ entered our time and space. And then we, we saw the revealed will of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, both the Jew and Gentile, without respect. Uh, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul, through all of this, continues to preach and to warn every man uh, and the teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect and complete in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ completes us as he completed the work. He right now is at the right hand of the Father, rightly back in his throne, completed the work on the cross. The last words he spoke it is finished. Nothing more needs to be added. Nothing more needs to be done. It's finished. It's complete. He, has a, he is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you. My friend, my daughter, there are only two kingdoms, and we belong to one or the other. And this world that is governed by the prince of his heir is the father of lies. He is seeking to steal, kill, devour, and destroy. That's the kingdom of this earth. 
That is the ruler of this earth. He wants to seek you, destroy you, kill you, obliterate you. And then you have the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. Who's made it possible to know God? The guilt, the regret, the remorse that sin brings, the separation from God that we know we are responsible for our own sin can be removed. The, the penalty of sin and the cost we cannot pay for. We're bankrupt before God. We can't pay for our own sin. So how can we be declared righteous? It was Jesus Christ who stepped in and said, I will pay. Once and for all, I will pay it. God entered our time and space. The second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, and took upon himself my sin and has declared me righteous because of his love and grace and clothed me with his righteousness. So when I stand before God, Jesus Christ is my identity, not Nick. There are two kingdoms, and one kingdom right now in my lifetime is unleashing every power, every morsel of power that God Almighty gave him to destroy, to seek and obliterate anyone that acknowledges or is affiliated or declares Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do not listen to the father of lies. Rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. Accept the gift that is before you and do not delay because you're not promised tomorrow. Accept the gift that Jesus Christ is offering you to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be declared righteous before God, to have peace not only in this lifetime, but for an eternity. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. May God add his blessing to this message.